Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. All right, and welcome to The Friday Habit. Uh, Today, I'm excited for our guest, uh, Eric Huberman, is the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, one of the fastest growing marketing consultancies in the United States. What a bold statement. (laughs) (laughs) Not my own statement, thankfully. (laughs) You're like, I've got a PR team then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, and some third parties that have validated it, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Well, hey, man, welcome to the, uh, you know, Friday Habit. We have a lot of um, small business owners, uh, creatives, and... Uh, other entrepreneurs that listen to the show, and uh, when I, yeah, man, when I came across your your stuff, I was like, hey, this seems like um, you're several steps ahead of like where Ben and I are, and um, uh, it would be great just to kind of pick your brain and hear your story and and all that. So, um, but first, we like to kind of get started with uh, a little would you rather question. So the one I got today is, would you rather wrestle a bear or wrestle an alligator? <laughs> I feel like alligator is more like you can, you can live, you're more likely to live through wrestling an alligator, but obviously mm. a bear is like soft and cuddly. So that's a tough one, but I, I think like I do want to live. <laughs> so I think I'd take the alligator. <laughs> okay. I feel like that's probably wise. I've never heard of a thing where it's like, Hey, bear wrestling, come watch the bear wrestling. I don't think right. that's like a thing. So I, by the way, I literally just saw a TikTok video last night, which is, you know, <laughs> I was totally being productive last night, but of a guy that like rescues, I think that they were crocodiles, but like rescues them when they're like in people's yards and then like brings them in and like he's just hanging out in a pool with like five crocodiles (laughs) that he is was explaining how they like grow to trust him so like that's fresh in my head that i'm like Mm. i could maybe get the alligator to trust me in a wrestling match i don't know (laughs) yeah there you go yeah and it almost feels like too not that you could overpower an alligator because i understand that they're like you know they they'll chomp a rhinoceros in like one bite and but i feel like a bear Man, it seems like he's got too many limbs to maybe fight you with. And you could There's swing no around the Yeah, it's like you could maybe like swing around the back of an alligator and get him in a weird angle where his neck right. doesn't move or something. Like Oh yeah, and on land, I feel like I got him. Like the thing is if I'm in the water with an alligator, I'd be concerned. That's but like, right. Yeah, land, I feel true. like I can like cut left and like get its tail or something. Like there's an yeah. option there. Bear, I'm not. The only thing I've heard about bears is either you play dead and maybe you run downhill temporarily because they have shorter uh, front legs, so they stumble downhill, uh, but they still run like 35 miles an hour. I grew up in the mountains. They know too much about bears. So, so fast. Yeah. <laughs> big, big bear knowledge guy. Yeah, exactly. Good question. We teed this one up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, hey, you know, I'd love to hear uh, where are you located, actually? Now I'm in Santa Monica. Okay. Okay. Now. Okay. So I'm just saying because I said I grew up in the mountains. It's not necessarily the mountains, though. I think there's probably a couple bears around. Isn't there like Tahoe or something like that? Is mountain? Well, that's far. That's seven hours away or something. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So then, are you from California originally, though? Yeah, I'm from a small town called Ojai. It's like near Santa Barbara, but it's up in the mountains. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I I live really close to the mountains in Colorado. Um, And then probably see a few bears. Maybe not as many bears. I've seen some bears, yeah. Yeah, my dad lives in Florida, so I do see alligators oh, from time to time. Yep. Yeah. 
So, and then Ben, I don't, I don't, there's hills in Virginia. Yeah, so. yeah we got some nice rolling mountains, the Blue Ridge here. And we've got, uh, I mean, right before we bought our house, uh, we saw somebody post online like, hey, check out this family of bears. And it was like in the neighborhood that we just bought. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Good to know. There's there's bears in our neighborhood. They're, Haven't seen they're any migrating sense, during but... COVID too. They're all over the place now. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, Eric, I'd love to just hear a little bit of your origin story. Kind of like, uh, you know, how you got, uh, into kind of the creative services industry and then, um, you know, how you started your agency and then kind of just how you've grown over the past several years. Yeah. So it is pretty random. Um, I went to U of A, University of Arizona for school, graduated in 08, knew that my life calling and career was going to be in real estate and, uh, spent the summer getting my real estate license. And I got a job as a commercial real estate agent at a great firm and started, exactly one week to the day before the entire banking industry collapsed and Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. And thankfully, I would say at that time, nobody knew what that meant. Like you never know in the, it's kind of like when everyone went home on March 13th from COVID (laughs) and it's like, yeah, it'll be two weeks. What was, yeah, it was, you know, I forgot what they said, but flatten the curve, two weeks to flatten the curve. Like, um, yeah. So same kind of thing. We are like, oh, whatever this, you know, oh wait, 150 year old banks don't go bankrupt all the time. This isn't normal. And so that, that, so I went into that. That year, I made $350, which uh, I don't know uh. if you, anyone knows about the cost of living in LA, but $350 <laughs> a year is not enough. And That'll so, get you maybe like what, like a couple weeks of lattes? <laughs> I'm pretty sure a happy meal at McDonald's costs $350 now. I don't know. Inflation's been rough, but it's a, it's a tank of gas. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so did not go so well. About six months in, I started scrambling in a way of trying to figure out what I was going to do. I knew this wasn't going to be sustainable. I was racking up credit card debt to live off of. And so I ended up, uh, long story short, launching an online music company with a friend's dad who was a very prominent entrepreneur. I didn't know this about my friend's dad. I knew him as my drummer's dad. I was a guitarist growing up Hmm. and not very good, which is why I didn't pursue it, but I enjoyed it. Um, And he reached out wanting to build uh, an online music company. And I built the business plan. He helped get funding for it. And mid 2009 went full time on it and we had, he had raised a million dollars for us. And so I ran it. I owned 5% of the company, built it for two years, got it to profitability, ended up realizing it was never going to be that big. And it wasn't going to be what like would put my future kids through college. So it wasn't going to be the next iTunes. No, it wasn't that model. It was more like masterclass for musicians. And the part of it is, you know, marketing to a customer that has no money is a, is not exactly the best business model. (laughs) Um, That being said, it was profitable. So we weren't going to shut it down. So we brought in a CEO to take over and I moved on. And then I ended up starting one of the early uh, e-commerce subscription companies. It was called Swag of the Month. It was a t-shirt subscription. You fill out a little style quiz, tell us what you like to wear, and every month we send you a t-shirt that fits your style. That went really well. After a year and a half, sold it, joined an incubator called Science that had just launched a company called Dollar Shave Club. Uh, advised mm-hmm. for them, advised for a lot of their portfolio, helped them launch an activewear brand, which we sold a year later to Bally Total Fitness, then started advising and consulting to a bunch of brands on how to grow businesses like I had. I had built a reputation. At that point, I'm 26 years old. I had built and sold two e-com companies. I was one of the first movers in sub-e-com. Timing and luck is a big factor in success. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so do you think, first, yeah. Yeah, do you think that your proximity to other entrepreneurs and business people, I mean, being in California, it seems like everyone goes to New York or LA, right? Like they want to like pursue their dreams. They go to the big city. So do you feel like, like, man, because you were in LA, you're around other people that were doing things that you kind of got swept into that. And that's where some of that like luck happened. 
absolutely. And I, and I don't mean that they can't happen in other places. Like Denver's got actually, we have a venture fund now. A lot of our investments are actually in Denver. So in Virginia has got some incredible companies too. So it's not that it's the only path, but in terms of my path, it had a big impact. So I don't like say you're not going to be successful if you're in a smaller place, but New York and LA, the opportunities are just more prominent. And so there's just more people. And that's why even when I see all these, the migration to Austin and Miami, plenty of opportunity, but it's still like the population of Miami is like 450,000 people. Los Angeles, is like 8 million, like right, there's no right. comparison in terms of just the opportunities that can arise. Now there's other reasons to go there. And if you're like the tax reasons, interesting, and maybe that mm-hmm. shifts, but it's going to take a long time. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I do believe like the good example is being in LA, I would have never not, I would have never, I literally met the founders of science, the incubator with Dollar Shave at a Mark or at a tech cocktail hour at a bar here that's not here anymore called South that was huh. in the middle of Santa Monica. Right. I met them and they're like, oh, you should come by. We should talk a little more. And that's how I ended up working there. And so, yeah, definitely. Now, now as the real estate market started coming back, I mean, had you, cause you said you'd like dreamed about being in real estate. So like, did, did that kind of, uh, just as things started coming back, you we are, we're, we're far down another path and you decided, oh, I'm just going to keep going down this, this path. Not really. I actually, I mean, I could have like, I could have gone either way. Cause after science I sold, when we sold Bowie Tove and it's, I, I actually kind of hated the experience and, uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next and real estate popped into my mind a couple times, but I'd, I kid, I was kidding myself. I didn't want to be a real estate agent. Investing in real estate's dope and owning when I own real estate now, like that's mm-hmm. super fun having a real estate portfolio. Uh, being the middleman on deals is not, you're dealing with two bosses that can't, you know, it's just, yeah. So yeah. I had this perception of the job versus the reality of job. The perception is you're doing deals and you're going, you know, you're running the numbers and you're doing all this research. And the reality is you're hurting cats and dealing with a bunch of bullshit and it's taking forever and things fall through and you don't control anything. And so, yeah, and I think that's a big lesson in a lot of jobs is like, there's a perception and reality of the actual job and what the hard parts are and mm-hmm. the hard parts have to be worth it just like right. the hard part of running an agency. You know, people think that my job is to like walk into a room with a whiteboard and draw a really creative, like I put up the poster board with that. This is the gecko. Geico, you're now a gecko. Like that's the job. That's not the fun right. job. So, um, and that's, yeah. And that's what you learn as you get into it, which I encourage anyone in their teens and twenties, like go try a bunch of jobs that you think sound cool and learn what the mm. downside is. Cause then you find out what's worth it. And, uh, right. I think that's the important part. Uh, but yeah, no. So real estate, I always wanted to invest. In fact, when I started Hawk, my original strategy was cash flow Hawk Media and take that money and put it into real estate, and that transformed, which we can get into. But uh, yeah, so yeah. you were you kind of what when you say you kind of had a bad experience, or you not that you had a bad experience, but you were kind of over it by the time the whole Bally's Fitness thing happened and all that. Like I wasn't the, they made a lot of really poor decisions on that business. It should have been a lot bigger, and I was not the main owner. I was an okay. owner, but I was not the decision maker. I worked for science in some senses. And so I was like, they made some really bad decisions and they, uh, screwed up our supply chain, things that had nothing to do with. And so it really pissed me off because they just, it was one of those situations where we, we, we screwed it up ourselves. Like it wasn't the market, all the things you would hope for, like, you know, uh, traction and market demand and total, total addressable market and good returns on marketing and everything that's hard to do. We had easy. And then they decided to vertically integrate our supply chain and blow all of our funding and end up underwater. And we couldn't afford to keep going on the things we were investing in. Like it was a disaster. So we ended so up getting out of it. But where did this, like it, to me, you know, just hearing you talk and stuff, I mean, obviously, like at a young age, 
there was some sort of entrepreneurial spirit within you. I mean, cause even being a real estate agent is, is an entrepreneurial endeavor, right? You're, you're self-employed and you're kind of making your own deals and doing things like that. Did you grow up in a home that, that was encouraged or were your parents entrepreneurs? Yep. All of the above. My dad was an entrepreneur and he, uh, a very successful one as I grew up and he was all, I'm also the oldest. So frankly, he was incredibly hard on me in a way that I appreciate later in life because it can, you know, I could have, for lack of a better word, I could have easily grown up to be like the spoiled rich kid waiting for his inheritance. And instead I, I was told from like eight or yeah, eight years old is when he started telling me I better get a fucking job <laughs> and I'm getting none of the money. It's going to the dog and I'd ask for things and he'd be like, you better fucking work for it. And okay. even like, I remember getting a phone call sophomore year of college in November and I'll never forget this. And now that now I keep it fresh in my mind, he calls me and I could always, my dad had, had a temper and I could always, and I, I, just to be clear, I was also very close to him, but yeah. he calls me and he goes, what are you doing? And I knew that tone. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> You're like, oh crap. <laughs> like it was in Arizona. It was November. He goes, yeah, but what's your plan this summer? It's fucking November. I'm like, I gotta tell you, I, I don't know yet. I'm probably going to get a job. He's like, you're probably going to get a job. Eric, you're 20, you know, 19 years old now. It's time to get off the family tit. Go figure out what the fuck you're doing with your life. I'm like, yeah, okay, wow. sounds good. So that was, there was a tone that was up until like, until the point that I didn't need to need any, my dad did pay for college until I didn't need anything from them. And even after that, that I still got a little bit of jabs here and there that I appreciate it. Gave me a, a chip on my shoulder that I like because it's this innate desire to grow things and build things and keep mm -hmm. going. And it's not about the money. It's not about because I can drive a fancy car. In fact, I downgraded my last car. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go. I went with a Tesla Model 3, which is not a bad car. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be pretentious about it. But, <laughs> but you know, I was looking at, you know, really nice cars. and went, I just want something that can be a daily driver that I can rely on. Like, it's like, that's not why I do this, but growing and building. And it put this chip on my shoulder that I always need to be beating myself and always need to be going, which hmm. I like. It's not something. Yeah. It's not a disability. It's not a mental challenge because I enjoy it. So. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I feel like, and I don't know, Ben, do you feel like, I, I think that with you, Ben, I feel like there's this sense of like, yeah, wanting to like build something, grow something like, you know, you've always got ideas. And I think it's, it's for me, it, it's, it's that idea of like, I, mean, I want to achieve, you know, like I want to like, like hit that next level of, of, you know, success. And I, and I think sometimes that can be a detriment, you know, because then I get in my head about things or I get depressed because I'm not growing as fast enough or, you know, whatever that is. But in the same way, I think it, it puts a drive in me to like also like want to succeed and not just have status quo or just go with, you know, the flow. Yeah. And I will say I, maybe it's an unpopular opinion, but I don't know that that stress is a bad thing because I think without that challenge and without that downside, the upsides don't feel that great either. And so mm. I think like the, the, the challenge, it's the challenge to work through it and to challenge, you know, and like all the shit you deal with and like, you know, whatever it is, is running a business, a bad employee, a, a angry client. And then it gets worse. And as you get bigger, it gets worse. Mark Zuckerberg's dealing with like geopolitical <laughs> problems and yeah. getting sued and changing the name of the company. And like, he's the richest guy in California has not gotten through this. So it never ends. And that's something mm -hmm. that has been probably the most important lesson I've learned in business. But if you don't have those challenges and when you have the wins, they kind of don't feel great either. Like you have to have that challenge. And it's, it's, you know, frankly, I, my wife hates camping and I love it. And I've tried to explain it to her. It's like, it's about when you get back and you take that shower and you <laughs> oh, have that good yeah. meal and you just feel great. Like the mm -hmm. actual camping's fun or getting away is fun, but like being down and dirty in that aspect of it, it's not because I enjoy sleeping on the ground. It's because how good it feels when you get back. Mm. It's like the part that you remember. And so 
yeah, it's the same thing. I think like going through those challenges, like we've thankfully had the opportunity to, I could sell this company and I've been offered many times for more than my grandkids would need, but that's not the goal. It's not about just having cash and sitting around. Like that doesn't sound exciting to me. And that sounds like how you have an early death, kind of like living. Would you say that you're a competitive person? I'm just curious how you see, like, what is it that drives you? So it sounds like you actually enjoy what you do. So that's part of it. Yeah, it's like the creativity. That, that um, in, but yeah, do you compete with other people? You're like, hey, I want to win. Or is it more like you want to compete with yourself? Or how do you think about it's it? It's the latter. It's, it's, I don't give a shit about other people's success. I, I actually commend even direct, direct competitors that have a good time. I'm like, high five. I have dinner with most of my direct competitors. Like, good for them. Um, it, but I do, it is about beating myself. And I will say the only time I find myself competitive with others is when they stand in the way of me beating myself. So mm. if I can grow without worrying about other people, I'm really happy. I'm running my own race and I'm that way. And like, I've always done more individual sports and stuff. Like it's always been like competitions about beating myself and doing better the next time than I did the previous time. But when it comes to, but then like if someone's literally standing in the way of me beating myself, that's when it's like, all right, well, I'm going to take you out too. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. When you're setting goals, do you are you usually setting like numerical, like quantifiable goals, or is it something else that you're shooting for? You know what I mean? Like what, how do you yeah, measure it's success? Because I, I like yeah. having a very objective way of measuring goals. Yeah. And that's, that can be revenue and profitability goals because those are easiest scoreboards, but there are a lot of times, uh, other indicators as well. You know, number of clients we're managing headcount, things like that, that we, we try to look for leading indicators, not just the result. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So you were at at um, uh, a consultancy or, or a um, what do you want to call it? incubator or whatever it was, right? And then from there, yep. So got out, went to Mexico for a week because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Came back and started getting offered a bunch of jobs. It turns out that yeah. you know the. Uh, sort of story I told you up to this point was a good story to a lot of companies and wanted to hire me. And so I was getting offered uh, jobs and I was like, yeah, but I just went through this situation. I don't want to fucking work for anyone. So mm. one of the companies that offered me to, uh, the company that bought our last company, Ellie, offered me to work there. I was like, I'm not coming to work for you. And he's like, well, why don't you consult? I'm like, all right, I'll consult one day a week. And he goes, well, why don't you consult three days? No, I want you to consult three days a week. It's like, okay, but you got to pay me. I was 26, give me money. I think I told him 200 bucks an hour. And I came, I was making a hundred grand a year before this 200 bucks an hour is 400 grand a year. If you work full time. Right. And I'm like, but yeah, I'll work three days a week, but you gotta be 200 bucks an hour. And he goes, yeah, okay. Sounds good. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so he was in East LA. So I, there was a commute and I didn't appreciate, but I was like, fuck it. That's more money than I was looking to make. I was used to living off three grand a month because running startups and stuff. That's I got, that was my budget. And even mm -hmm. when I was making a hundred grand a year, I was just putting away savings and so I was looking to just make cover three grand a month, which was my hope was to make that working one day a week for him. And then I could go figure out what the hell I wanted to do, which at the time was to start a tea company. Didn't, by the way, I don't, I know I'm talking fast. I don't drink caffeine. I didn't then <laughs> either. Um, and so I, I, it just, I thought there was an opportunity there. That was what I was going to pursue. It was going to be my next e-com business was fitness and health tea. And so, but I was like, yeah, I'll pay the bills working with this guy. Start working with him. Then I got hit up by more and more. And after about, let's just say over the course of six months, I now had eight clients. I had an assistant uh, working for me. I was making, still working part time, making three hundred and yeah, I was making about. I think I was making thirty grand a month, three hundred sixty grand a year wow. with an with a little an assistant helping with some stuff. Me working out of a Starbucks next to my condo and an incubator that let me called Amplify that let me have some desk space. They're still great. I actually ended up investing in their fund, their next fund. Um, 
And, uh, and yeah, I was just hustling, helping companies as their like fractional CMO. And through that, I'd try to help them hire agencies or hire in-house as they started to execute on the things I was advising for. And I found that, you know, it turns out 99% of agencies are just completely full of shit. And if you're in this industry, I haven't found someone that disagrees with me, which is scary, but it's just, uh-huh. it's, it's not even an opinion uh-huh. anymore. It's just fact. And so, and then the few that are good that I found, the ones that I found at least, were really expensive, wanted long contracts, high minimum, something that made them hard to work uh, with. So the end result was if I want, I just couldn't find access to great marketing for these people I was working with. So I went, screw it. I'm just going to hire my own little SWAT team, each with their own expertise. So like a Facebook marketer, an email marketer, a web designer, a fractional Mm -hmm. CMO. And I thankfully had this in my network because five years of being in the e-com space. So I grabbed some friends, told them I'd pay pay them each three grand a month because that's all I could afford. And then they'd get upside in the future. They came in, we had a team of seven people and had enough to pay for a tiny little office about the size of this room. So it's like 200 feet, square feet with a conference table in the middle and said, great, we're off to the races and offered my clients said, hey, everything's a la carte month to month, cheaper than hiring a house, but you can spin up what you need when you need it, let's go. And that was the birth of Hawk Media. That was January of 2014 is when they really fully started. And uh it worked right away. And I was, I actually launched that tea company the same month with a, I found a manufacturer in LA and all this stuff. And in the first month we went from 30 grand in revenue to 65, I think. And the tea company wow. launched and did about 30 grand in revenue. And I looked at the tea company and I looked at the agency, which I planned on just being my little team that could then port over to be the tea company. I went, no, nope, fuck it. I'm focusing on this. And, uh, that was literally how Hawk Media started. I never planned, didn't write a big business plan that we're going to take over the world. It was just like, I need a quick team. I'm going to do this. And then it worked really fast and went, okay, I need to double down. So then how, um, you know, when people started bringing you in for consulting, was it marketing consultant? Like, hey, what do we do? And then where did you get that knowledge, you know, uh, in that area? Because obviously you, you worked on different deals and things like that, but it's not like you went to formal education or, or anything, anything like that. So how, how did that kind of like transpire that you had the knowledge and experience then to start doing these things? I always, I just asked a lot of, and I still try, I actually get down on myself for not being as inquisitive as I used to be. Like I always wanted to learn, learn, learn. And so especially up until I reached a certain point of scale here, I just asked a lot of questions. And I also just went with my gut on things. Like I'm thankfully, like I have a really strong logical deduction. Like that's a, just a strength of mine is like taking, like, you know, kind of seeing how things play out and like understanding like sort of the business version of chess in some ways, Mm -hmm. as well as like, like I'm super, super rational. That's uh, anyone that works with me says that like I'm the most level-headed person. Everything seems really fair and logical. I, actually took the LSAT um, and got a one, or I took the practice LSAT, I should say, and then I bailed on the actual LSAT, but I got like a 171. I could have gone to any school I wanted to if I had gotten that on the real thing mm-hmm. um, and then decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. But uh, the the point of that is all through my that part of my career, I was looking at like, this doesn't make sense. And I was thankfully built with enough confidence. My mom instilled confidence. I went to a super alternative hippie school that was all about building confidence. So like I was confidence and confident enough in myself that when I thought something was stupid or didn't make sense, then I believed it was stupid or didn't make sense. Not like why must be done. It was more like, no, if that, I think that's broken, it's probably broken. And so when it came down to like, you know, agencies wanting long-term contracts, me thinking that's broken, I was, let's say cocky enough to go, why, you know, I think a month to month agency should work. Yeah, it'll probably work. Let's try it. Like, and I'd have, I had many 
major agency owners. I talked to a guy that had sold his last two agencies for like 50 and $70 million at the time. And that was like, holy shit to me at the time. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him and he's like, yeah, that'll never work. You can't scale that business. And I'm like, but I think I can. And he's like, no, you can't scale that business. And he's like, I know I've been in this business for 20, 20 years. That's mm-hmm. not doable. And I'm like, okay. Eight years later, I stuck with what I, my guns versus listening to him, thank God, and built a much bigger business than he ever built. Hmm. So it, it just comes down to, you know, having that understanding and being confident in that and then also being willing to have it challenged. Like I've made mistakes. I've made decisions. There are other parts of the business that I just took for granted. Like, oh, all those agencies are stupid. We're doing it right. And I'm like, oh, no, that's why they do that. Yeah, we need to change what we're doing. Yeah. Um, So it it was just a constant. And I think that's the benefit of when you have entrepreneurs enter a space they're not familiar with. The downside is you don't know. you'll, You'll end up with a lot of mistakes that people that know the industry won't. But the other side of the downside is you also end up with people that are in the industry take all the things for granted for granted. Like, oh, well, this is just how things are done. And when you deal with those types of people, the creativity goes away and your chances of a real moonshot are a lot lower. All right, we're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, Go to thefridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, There you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, Also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, Go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at the Friday Habit.com. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. <laughs>